We continue with our worship and the reading of God's Word. Today's reading is from the fifth chapter of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the ESV version, and I welcome you to read along with me. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our, some of our daughters are already been enslaved. But it is not our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry of these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the things that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? Moreover, I said, I and my brothers and my servants lend in Excuse me, let me say that again. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants, lending them money and grain, let us abandon this exacting of interest, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards and their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain and wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say, and I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so that, they, so that he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to be back here with you. It's good to have Pastor David and his family back from vacation. Um, rough, rough text. And I'll, I'll tell you, tell you why as we as we dive into this. But I want to I want to open with a word of prayer. Uh, if you don't mind. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We, uh, as we listen to your word, and that is, once again, the most important thing that we can do this morning is just to listen to you. As we listen to them, we just 
humbly come before you and we ask you that you would help us to have the wisdom to not only understand it, but to also apply it, to have the humbleness in our hearts to, to see uh, our sin and our transgressions in light of the greatness and awesomeness of your character. So Father, I pray that this morning you would uh, go before us, that you would remove me from, uh, from what you want to communicate to your church. And Father, I pray that you would give us attentive hearts and ears that we might listen to you and that might, we might say, amen, let's do it based on what you have to say to us. So Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. We will obviously, we continue to Nehemiah chapter five and in Nehemiah chapters three and four, we saw a little bit of the solidarity that existed among the Jews. We saw in chapter three, all the people that came together and they worked towards this massive task in terms of finishing up this wall, rebuilding the, the wall that would bring them protection. And in chapter four, we realized that every word comes a little bit with uh, its difficulties. We noticed from chapter four that there is uh, external opposition to what God is actually doing, which should not surprise us in, in, in any areas of life. When we talked about doing God's work, there will always be opposition. There's gonna be some sort of pressure against what God wants to do. And that's what we saw in chapter four. We see the outsiders from Sembala and Tobiah and all his buddies trying to gather together against the nation of Israel and trying to discourage the process. But it's interesting that as we, as we look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, we realize that there is not only outside discouragement that's taking place in Nehemiah chapter 4, but now there's internal opposition that's happening. There was a reason for it, and we're going to describe that as we, as we move forward, but what you need to understand is that the potential here for disrupting the successful process of the rebuilding of the wall lies in the hands of the Jewish people, not only in the hands of the opposition on the outside, because how they handle the difficulties will actually determine how the project goes. So it's not only the opposition on the outside that's causing them some difficulties, it's now the opposition on the inside is causing them to, to have some massive problems. So here's what I think. I think that Nehemiah chapter five is extremely crucial for us as a church even though we're so far apart from what Nehemiah was going through because of the biblical principles that we can find in this text. We see the conduct, we see the demonstration of the external opposition. In, in all that opposition, both external and internal, is an opposition to the fulfillment of God's will in the project that God has gifted or given to the nation. God has requested them that they would engage in rebuilding the wall, but more, more, more dangerously than anything here, I think how internal opposition could bring God's work to, to a halt and also cause a division among the nation. So let's dive into this text you see in your notes. Um, today the title is Leading with Character When Facing Internal Opposition, and we'll see that from Nehemiah, that that is actually true about his character. And the first thing that we notice is the first five verses in Nehemiah that talks about the outcry of the people. Now, let me give you a little bit of the historical situation here. Pastor David has done a great job in there, but just, just so you, 
know what's going on. This process of moving back to Jerusalem is not a process where everybody gets in an airplane and everybody's gone. This has been a process, it's been taking a long time for everybody to come and by this point, not everybody's even there. It's been a slow process. Economically, the Jews struggled due to their devastating, to the devastating destruction of the nation prior to this moment. Their ability to produce, the lack of workers maybe to work in the fields, the lack of shepherds to take care of the sheep, the lack of finances to be able to sustain the nation was probably some, some of those issues that were actually there that caused them to have difficulties from the inside out. Now here's where part of Nehemiah's problem began. Some of the brothers, and they're going to be called the Jewish brothers in here, they used the punishment of God in taking the nation of Israel into captivity and then the return of the people into the land. They used those, those circumstances in order to be able to make their finances and create what we call a business perspective. And we'll see that as we go here. What began with a possibility of finding resources to survive actually became a a business that exploited the people of God. And when you think about this, God is not only concerned with his work to be done properly, but God is concerned with his people. Because you cannot only do the work of God and ignore God's people because in one way you're rejecting what God wants from us, which is to love one another, to realize that we are, as we'll see today, the apex of his creation. And if I were to ask you if you have kids, and, and I do, and I thought a lot about this this week, what would be more important, to finish a task or to make sure you treat your kids in the way that God has designed and requested of you? Now, look at this, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then there was a great outcry from the people and their wives against their fellow Jews. Now, um, Swindle makes a, a great statement here. He says, in Nehemiah's day, financial issues caused the Jewish people to separate from each other. Not much different than nowadays. The complaints from Nehemiah chapter 5 re reveal three seismic slips that caused Israel's economy to quake, number one, the people to grumble, number two, and the rebuilding project to wobble, number three. Now, when Nehemiah writes that there was a huge outcry here, the word outcry is the same word that Moses uses to describe the outcry of the Jewish nation in Exodus chapter 2 before the Lord when they're saying, we can't handle the work anymore, God. We cry out to you for help. This is the same word that Moses describes later to explain and express the pain of the Egyptians when they had lost their firstborn and they cry out, they're mourning. So you see the pain of the situation that's going here. It's not only an outcry of a little baby that he doesn't get their way in, in, in the family dynamics. This is a difficult situation. And you know it's difficult, and I don't want to make fun of this. It's not to be fun at all because it's in the test, but you know it's difficult because even the wives join the process. Now you're going to say, why is that, why is that, why is that funny? Well, the wives were supposed to stay home as the men were building this project. Now the wives can't even handle the oppression that's taking place. And they join the men in the outcry to Nehemiah. And they're saying, we can't handle this anymore. Now, if you ask me, I didn't want to be there on that day. For the first time in Nehemiah's process here, he finds himself with a big 
internal problem or opposition. So as you noticed last week, the rebuilding process serves not only to expose the greatness, and remember the other word, the awesomeness of God, but it also exposes in one way, as we see today, the sinfulness of human nature. In one side, you have a God who is going to fight for us, and on the other side, you have a group of people who are exploiting each other. In one way, they pray for this God to lead us, and in one way, we're actually fighting against each other to figure out how each one is going to take advantage of the other person. I don't know about you, that's not much different than nowadays. So we see this outcry, which is the historical event here. And I want to I touch on verses 2 to 5 really quickly. And I want you to see some of the voices of concern. Nehemiah is going to give us three reasons, three main concerns that the people are going to be expressing to him. And the first one comes from verse 2, which focuses on the matter of food. It says this, There were, the, there were those who said, With our sons and daughters, we are many. We must obtain grain in order to eat, to stay alive. Now, the Jews had gathered their, their strength. They dedicated their efforts to rebuild the wall. We saw that chapter 3, chapter 4. They're there. They're facing opposition. They're not stopping for anything until chapter 5. When according to verse 1, the fellow Jews begin to take advantage of the people of God. Now, we see here that the wives are involved. And if they were living in this country, they would say, Houston, we've got a problem. And they do. They're working on the wall, and they cannot provide for themselves, which means that if you don't provide for yourself, you don't have the strength to accomplish the work that God has done. So who's going to provide for them? Who's going to provide them assistance? Are they expecting government to jump in and help? There's no government. Apparently, a loan was the best way that they found, so they go out and they take a loan from other people. But here's, here's the key. When you have no money, you can buy no grain. When you have little money, you can buy little grain. But the problem is, you can only rebuild a wall with the rubbles of stones, but you cannot feed people without food. And so here comes the first lesson. And I know we sit here comfortably, and this is not where we are in terms of where Nehemiah was, but here's the first lesson. While doing God's work, be careful not to neglect the needs of God's people. Because once again, God's people is more important than God's work because those two things should be put together because God's people are the people who do God's work. The second complaint, verse 3, focuses on their, their inability to buy food due to the loans that they have taken. Listen to what it says. There were others who said, we are putting up our fields and our vineyards and our houses as a collateral in order to obtain grain during the famine. So not only there's financial issues, now there's a famine here. Do you realize that there's multiple famines in the Old Testament? And most of them seem to be like God is using that in order to get their attention to an issue. Finances and famine are presented here and they're a massive trouble for them because as you guys say and we say now, when it rains, 
It pours, which means that the problem is massive. In order for them to buy food, they have to get a loan, and they get a loan from their fellow Jews. There is no bank. There is no Bank of America. There is no Bank of Indianapolis. There is nothing available in there. They go back to their Jewish people, and the Jewish people begin to take advantage of them. A commentator says this, some would have borrowed money to pay taxes, which was a practice that had been, listen to this, experienced and practiced by the Babylonians, and it was continued with the time of the Persians. Landowners would often fall into the hands of the people who made outrageous profit, listen to this, on the desperation of the poor. Now, when we talked about our biblical understanding of, of the Bible, our biblical principles, our biblical foundation, we think about the Bible being under us and God is building us upon the foundation that he has set in our lives through Jesus Christ. So there, there is a foundation in the Christian life. Did you see, did you notice that the loaning here is not based on the foundation that's based on God's word. It's based on the practice that was done by the Babylonians and the Persians. Not very godly people. Not a model to be followed. So here's my question for you. When was the last time that you came to church on Sunday morning and then you had to call your bank or your bank app to ask for a loan in order that you can go out for lunch afterwards? Probably none of us have done that. But that's where they are. Here's the third complaint. The third one focuses on the selling of children into slavery and, and even perhaps marriage in order to pay for one's taxes. I know we complain and we complain and we complain about taxes and none of us like to do that. They're expensive, they're unfair. But when was the last time you sold a child to do that? Listen to what it says. Then there were, there were those who said, we have borrowed money to pay our taxes to the king on our fields and our vineyards. And now, though we share the same flesh and blood as our fellow countrymen and our children like their children, still we have found it necessary to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have been subjected to slavery while we are powerless to help. Do you see the voice of the parents here? Do you hear that? We're powerless to help since our fields and vineyards now belong to the other people. According to the Mosaic Law, debt slavery was actually illegal. Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 23, uh, 25, Deuteronomy chapter 15, those are all passages that talked about how illegal it was for you to do that. And if that wasn't bad enough, the reference here to, to daughters being sold into slavery carries a little bit of a sexual connotation to it, which we don't know if it was sending them out and selling them so they could be sold into sexual slavery or if they're being sold into what we call marriage to, a, to an older person or, or a younger person. But either way, look at the desperation of this. We have to sell our kids. Listen to this. The only reason I think you would ever sell a child that you love is that maybe you cannot make it and you're afraid that that person, that child is going to die. So you're saying, hey, that child might be better off with somebody else. 
Because if I don't do this, they're going to die and I'm going to die. The reality that some of those young ladies were being submitted to such a slavery was a, was a strong humiliation to the nation of Israel because that's not God's intention for them. And it caused the individuals to be powerless. Just like me yesterday, I take my daughters for a bike ride and we're walking and we're riding our bike and we're on the side of the, the, the road going a, it towards traffic and a car comes over and I say to my daughter, stay here, stay, stay. And, and, and she stays on my side, but she decides to cross right in front of the car. You, you feel like powerless as a, as, a, as a parent. There's nothing I can do. And that's the idea. Not only they're losing property, but they're losing the next generation. If I sell, if we sell all of our kids into slavery, then there will be no next generation to be able to support and do God's work. And that is a tough place to be. But even with that, you can't ignore God's will for this people. When the Babylonians took the Israelites into captivity, they became a property of a pagan nation. That meant no, auto no autonomy, no authority. That meant you have no leadership being placed over you. You have no government established by you. You don't choose when you put up your Christmas tree. And now they're being oppressed by their Jewish brothers. They're exploiting them into humiliation. But they're primarily, primarily, and this is where the foundation comes in, and you need to pay attention to this right now. They're not only dishonoring and doing this against one another, they're, they're humiliating and dishonoring the Lord. Because God did not intend for that to take place. And this is where our lesson number two comes in, which reads this. A heart that has fully experienced the grace and mercy of God should find it impossible to exploit God's people with greedy gain and selfish desires. Now, we all have our shortcomings. And we all make mistakes and we all sin. And multiple times we sin against each other and we humiliate the Lord. But most likely that should not be the pattern of any one of us, of us here. Now, as I said to you, every action usually brings out a reaction, and this is exactly what Nehemiah is going to go through right now. Look at the reaction of a godly leader in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Nehemiah, verse 6 says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and their complaints. Now, that would have been my reaction. I would be very angry if I had heard those things too. But do you realize that in chapter 4, there's a man named Simbala, and Simbala is very angry. In verse 1, it says that he was so upset, he was quite upset and very angry. In verse 7, it says he was very angry. And you realize why he's angry? He's angry because God's people are being obedient to God's word. Now Nehemiah is hot anger. Like, that's what he's showing here. He's he's angry 
But his anger here is a righteous anger because it's based on the idea that God does not expect that to take place from inside of his own body, from inside of his own people. Nehemiah has been deeply involved in God's work. He has been involved in his project, and he has been involved in all the process of getting the people there. Pastor David wrote in his Nehemiah book that says this, when Nehemiah, listen to this, when Nehemiah heard about the conspiracy of the enemies, he prayed. When he, Nehemiah heard the condition of the wall, he, he wept. And now Nehemiah hears about the oppression that the people are facing, and he's angry. And with that anger, Nehemiah brings his first accusation. Now, things will get really good from now on. Listen to this. I consider these things carefully and then register a complaint with the wealthy and the officials. I said to them, each one of you is seizing the collateral from your, from your own countrymen. Because of them, I called for a great public assembly. Now, he's angry. Now listen to what he does. The first thing the text says is that he considered these things in his mind, in his heart, carefully. Now, I have acted in anger before, and I realize looking back, a lot of times my anger will not make me think carefully about a situation. It will make me act foolishly. Nehemiah takes the time to do this. He evaluates the needs carefully, which means he thinks through it uh, without being emotionally charged. He meditates on the truth of God in order to find direction, and he evaluates his options in light, listen to this, of God's will in order to lead the people. He doesn't want to be the guy who is the boss in town. He wants to be the servant of God to lead the people of God into the work that God has actually brought before them. And it is right here, I think, that we can get our life lesson number three. Listen to this. As a leader, careful consideration of our conduct is crucial to lead God's people through the life challenges. And I'm, I'm going to say this to you because you're thinking, okay, Michael, I'm, I'm not a leader here. I'm not a leader in this church. I don't I don't lead anything. Well, if you're married, you lead your family. If you're, if you're single, you lead yourself. If you're a grandparent, you have a legacy before you. So consider those things carefully, how God has brought certain situations in your life to navigate through it, to actually understand what God wants from you, how he wants you to deal with those issues. This problem here was directly connected to the book of Deuteronomy, like I mentioned to you earlier, because the Pentateuch actually talks about the Jewish people being brothers, regardless of their social status. Now, that is also very different than us, isn't it? We know that in the book of James, James talks about having no, showing no partiality, showing no favoritism. But we still have our problems when it comes to that. Tophetson says that relations between Jews could never be treated purely as business transactions, but rather as spiritual service that's pleasing to God and blessed by him. It's very different than us sometimes. Now, for Nehemiah, it takes courage to actually step out there. It takes courage for you to actually put yourself in a position where you need to confront someone. And for Nehemiah, 
he does that. In his first step here, he's actually, he registered a complaint. He says, hey, let's, let's start from the beginning. There's a complaint that was brought up to me, so he goes over and he registered that. Second, it was to address the cause of the problem. Hey, the Jewish brothers are taking advantage of the people. And three, it's to call them for a meeting. Now that we know the problem that we have addressed is, now we have to take care of this issue. And here's what he does. He, 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 he brings this up, and then he brings a second accusation in verse 8. And he says this, I said to them, to the extent possible, we have bought back our fellow brothers. Listen to this. We have bought back our fellow brothers who had been sold to the Gentiles. But now you yourselves want to see your own countrymen so that we can buy them back? They were in complete silence and could not find anything to say. Now, a commentator says this, for Nehemiah, the problem boils down to a fu fundamental value that family members do not sell one another into slavery. Why is that fundamental? Because it comes from God's word. It comes from his desire for his people. God had brought them back. God had already brought the nation back into Israel. And now they want to sell them so they can be taken again to the Gentiles? H haven't you learned the lesson yet? How is God going to accomplish the work without you? Because he loves you and he wants you to be part of that. They forgot that everything in this life comes with a price tag. And God had already brought them in there to make them free from slavery. Now they are selling each other into slavery. Do you, do you understand this? They're not even expecting a pagan nation to come over and take them over. They're expecting the fact that they have no food and the famine has taken over and because of that they have no finances to sell each other to their own brothers and sisters. How, how distorted is that? According to Leviticus 25, the law prohibited, once again, and I'm going to say this again, prohibited selling a fellow Jew as a slave to a Gentile. So how did they respond to Nehemiah? They respond in silence. So now let me, let me give you a tip here. Every time you talk to a pastor, and the pastor is talking to you, if you're silent, he's going to continue talking. <laughs> and for them, it was not a good silence. But it was a divine silence. And here's what happens. They're silent, and because they're silent, Nehemiah accuses them again. So you have two options. You can say something not very clever, and Nehemiah responds to that, or you can be silent, and Nehemiah is going to respond to the accusations. And that's exactly what he does. Look at accusation verse, three, verse, uh, verse 9. Then I said, the thing that you are doing is wrong. Oops. If we were trying to identify what's going on here, now Nehemiah says, hey, listen, here's the deal. You're wrong. Should you not conduct yourselves in the fear of God? Wow. In order to avoid the reproach of the Gentile who are our enemies. Now he's saying this, listen, finally, when he accuses them, he says, you're not only not living for the Lord in the fear of God, which in one way is to express our reverence towards him, is to understand that God is not only 
awesome and great like we saw last week, but we need to walk in light of who he is. And their actions here had not only become sinful, but had become just a reflection of what the the pagan nations were acting. Now, I don't know when was the last time you were called pagan. You're not listening. You're not hearing that from me today. But here's what Nehemiah is saying. You're so wrong that your actions not only are a sin against the Lord, but your actions imitate the actions of those who have no idea who God is. Wearsby says Nehemiah was not only not a politician who asked what is popular or a diplomat who asked what is safe, but a true leader who asked what is right. And he did that in God's eyes. How could they pray in chapter 4 that to God actually come and help them? And now in chapter 5, they're selling their own people. And this is why there's a key point here for you. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what kind of situation you faced in your life. But here's how serious this is for Nehemiah and how serious it is in the New Testament. When Paul writes the book of Ephesians, and we all memorize Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, but there is a verse right after that. And what God, when Paul writes then, he writes Ephesians 2.10 2, to express that God's creation, mankind, God's creation is the apex of what he has done. So which means you are it. And then he ends that saying that we are God's workmanship, the piece of art that God has created that's priceless. And now they're selling their own children. Nehemiah didn't have to wait until Paul wrote those things. <laughs> Nehemiah knew that from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Now, why is significant here in verse 10? Look with me. It says this. Even I and my relatives and my associates are lending them money and grain, but let us abandon this practice of seizing collateral. Do you realize that a good leader puts himself in the same shoes of the people? It's, it's a little bit different than the politicians that deal with things where I grew up, where they tell you what to do and how to do it, but they do everything separately. Nehemiah puts himself in this. Even though Nehemiah had loaned the resources, his actions are different, okay? I want you just to understand the, the, the distinction here. He's not selling anybody into slavery, but he's, he's, what he's saying is this. This is not a time for a loan. This is a time for a gift. This is not a time for me to put somebody else in a bad position. This is a time for me to come alongside of them and help them. This is not a time for me to say, I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you have it $1,000 for you to survive on a 30% interest. This is a time for me to say, I only have 200 You can have it. So why is significant here that Nehemiah puts himself in there? And I think number one, we talked about he identifies with the people. Number two, he gained trust in order to call them out. If I was only here every Sunday calling you out and I've never done anything wrong, you would say, Where, where's the grace in that guy's life? Where's the humility? 
He cannot even identify with us. And I think, lastly, I think he's doing this to exhort them towards righteousness, which is in one way the job of a pastor. Listen to verse 11. This very day, return to their field, return their fields, their vineyards, and the olive trees and their houses, along with the interest that you are ex- exacting from them on the money, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. First, Nehemiah clarifies the terms. He says, give everything back. Second, he says, return all the interest that you have acquired. Once again, Nehemiah not only didn't have to wait for Paul to write Ephesians chapter 2, but he didn't have to wait until a little man called Zacchaeus to climb up the tree and, 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 and utter, listen to this, these words in Luke chapter 19 when he says, but Zacchaeus stopped and said, after Jesus talks to him, stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor, and, I, and if I have cheated anyone of anything, which in the Greek says, I have cheated anyone of anything, I just need to find them. I am paying back four times as much. Nehemiah did not have to wait until Zacchaeus showed up to tell them that what you are doing is wrong. The Lord does not require that. And it's really interesting that Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to do that either. Do you know where the change came? It came from the inside. Zacchaeus was confronted with the truth that was established by Jesus just like the Jews were established in the foundation of the law of God. And now they're being confronted into the sense of you need to do this because God's foundation requires that we do this. And this is where we get our lesson number four. Lesson number four, when confronting God's people, encourage them to have a healthy fear of God and not man. Nehemiah didn't want them to change just to please Nehemiah. That would be temporary change. Nehemiah wanted them to change in God's view so there will be eternal change. Now, this is really interesting because a godly leader here recognizes that, our, that your example is as powerful as your word. And what's fascinating is that their silence in verse 8 now comes out into a response in verse 13 and 12. Listen to what it says. They reply, we will return these things and we will no longer demand anything from them, which means there's no strings attached. I'm not going to be reminding little Johnny, Johnny, remember, remember that time? You still owe me 50. Johnny, remember? That was three times. No. There's no strings attached. We will do just as you say, they say. Then I called the priest and made the the wealthy and the officials swear to do what they had promised. I also shook out my garment and I said, in this way may God shake out from, from his house and his property every person who does not carry out this matter. In this way, May he be shaking out out and emptied. All the assembly replied, so it be. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. Now, Nehemiah is going to capitalize on the moment, which is a beautiful thing here. he's, He's going to use their verbal commitment to actually communicate to them that now they need to do according to what they said, just as they said. 
He then moves on to a formal ceremony. And you think, why, why would Nehemiah do that? Why would he call the priests here? Why does he have to bring everybody together? And I think there is, there is an incredible meaning here because I, I think the, the ceremony here serves for Nehemiah as a warning sign to the wealthy and to the nobles. Listen to this. That they vow not only before the people, but not their vows have been fully committed to make right, rightful uh, restitution and to keep their word not only before each other, but before the Lord. Their vow and any other commitment to the Lord needs to be takes, taken seriously. And so he goes to verse 13, which we read, and that's how he finished this section with a powerful message. He says, Nehemiah shook out, shook out, his garment, which means literally he emptied. Here's what would happen. He would have emptied his pockets in front of every single one of them. And by doing so, he's actually demonstrating the extent, listen to this, the extent of the curse that God would bring upon the people if they went back and did their evil things again. What he's saying is, you see that I have nothing left in me. I've taken everything out of my pockets. There's nothing in my garment. And he's saying, so be it to you before the Lord if you do anything that's going to be like what you're doing before. Because if you do it, may God bring the curse on you that will take everything away from you. Now their final words here remind us that our actions should be done to the praise and honor of the Lord. And this is the first time in the book of Nehemiah that the people are actually praising God. Now listen to this. They've come really far. They began the process of rebuilding the wall. They faced opposition on the outside. Now they face opposition on the inside. And God used those things and God's going to make them believe and repent on their sins in order to be able to praise him at the end. Was it worth it? Well, you're going to have to come back next week. But here's what we know. Swindle says, like all good leaders, Nehemiah doesn't simply hurl a few rebukes and then walks away. He goes on to the purpose to propose some constructive charges that can apply even today where wrong has been done. Listen to this. First, determine to stop the wrong, verse 10. Second, Make specific plans to correct the wrong immediately, regardless of the sacrifice involved, verse 11. Third, declare your plans for correction in a promise before God, verse 12. And here's the last thing that they did. They realized the seriousness of their vertical promise before the Lord. That's, that brings us to our last point. And here's the last application for you. Keep your word. Your word is what communicates what you believe. I struggle with that. I break my words to my kids all the time. I heard a story one time from this lady who was going to go out on a date with her husband, and she was waiting anxiously for the husband to come back home from work, and he's not coming, and he's not coming, and he's not coming, and all of a sudden she's a ball of nerves, and she's sweating and crying, and he gets home, and she just has lost it. He said, I'm so he's all dirty. He gets there and he said, I'm so sorry. I have a flat tire. That was before we had cell phones, okay? Just, just relax. 
He gets home, he's all dirty. He says, I had a flat tire, I'm so sorry. And he asks, why are you crying so much? And she says, I don't know. And as she began to evaluate that, she remembered that her dad's words in the past never meant anything to her because he always broke that, those promises to that little girl. And now she's looking at the relationship with her husband and she's realizing he's not keeping his, just like my dad didn't keep, keep his words. I'm not asking you to make a vow here or take a promise. What I'm asking you is this. What we communicate, communicate what God, what, should, what God should be communicating to people. So when you make a promise to someone, do everything you can to keep it. And just remember, in your life, just lead with character. Even when you're facing internal or external opposition. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We praise you for your word. There's much here today that we can talk about it. I can't imagine going through the difficulties that Nehemiah and his people went through. The difficulty of struggling internally as a people group to be able to accomplish your work because we are, we're facing a famine or we're facing financial problems and we're facing all kinds of other difficulties. But Father, I pray that you would help us just like Nehemiah required and requested from his people that they would follow you wholeheartedly, that we would do the same. Help us to lead our lives before you with character in the midst of any circumstances that we face. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.